Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Happy to be with you again today. And thank you for tuning in with us. Like always, it's a privilege to open the Bible and to search the Word of God to understand more of the teachings in regard to education. But before we are going to the topic for today, I would like to welcome uh, our panel and I will say um, hello to Joel. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you, Will, also for joining us. Yes, it's an inspiration to be parked as we go through God's Word together. Nick, thank you for the invitation. And Len, it's always uh, good to, to have you part of our panel. Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. And I'd like to say it's always good to study the Word of God. And today, uh, Marek is um, also our facilitator. But before that, Marek, I would like to just welcome to the program. I'm looking forward to our Bible study. It's a very interesting and important uh, topic today, Marek. And um, it's kind of a bit of a continuation from last week. And um, I would like you to take us through, please. Wonderful, wonderful. Yes, we are continuing with the study of the theme, Lessons from the Master Teacher. Our series of Bible studies for this quarter focus on the theme of education. It's interesting to note that all around the world, Christian communities provide private schools and universities to nurture a closer experience with God. God is placed at the center of the educational experience in these schools. The scriptures and the story of creation and redemption are central to what is taught and practiced in the curriculum. Christian schools promote a Christian worldview and encourage students to emulate the example of the greatest teacher the world has ever known. No other has impacted the course of world history as Jesus Christ has, and no other provides the meaning and hope in life that he does. On this account, people of all ages, children and the elderly, need a revelation of Jesus Christ. Each individual, every church, and Christian community must strive for an intimate and personal knowledge of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the aim of our study today. Should you wish to follow our study guide for today, be sure to download it from the website absg.adventist.org. Alternatively, join a study group at your nearest Seventh-day Adventist church, and you'll find that anywhere in the world, your local Adventist church will follow the same study guide. Let me just review briefly where we left off our Bible study last week. Last week, we discussed how Jesus, the express image of God, entered into the sphere of human existence to reveal to us the character of God. We studied various scripture passages which portrayed Jesus as the pre-existing one, the one who was in the beginning, who created the universe and created physical light, but now came to the sin-darkened world to bring spiritual light to enlighten the minds of men. Jesus, the master teacher, then passed on the torch to his followers to share that light. Christ commissioned his followers with the words, As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you, John 20, verse 19. It is our role to eliminate the world with the knowledge of his character. 
And so it's here that we want to begin our study for this week. But prior to doing so, could I invite Joe to uh, lead us in a prayer, asking God's blessing and direction on our study? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gift of salvation and for Jesus Christ. We ask for your special presence as we open up your word. And I pray also that we may find comfort, not just us, but all the listeners, that we may find comfort, strength, hope, and assurance from the words that you have put and given us through Christ and in print through your word in the Bible. Please be our teacher and may we be good students and learners from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. We begin with our memory text. Memory text comes from the action-packed book of the Gospel of Mark. And there in chapter 10 and verse 52, we read special words relating to a story that we will study later on. Nick, would you kindly read for us Mark 10, 52? Sure. And uh, Mark, as you mentioned, uh, memory text, it's very important to uh, have a habit of uh, memorizing passages in the Bible. And uh, this is uh, not necessarily is not the main text which we use uh, today, uh, but it's one of those ones who we are invited to memorize for today. And um, from New Living Translation, the text says, My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. This is an incredible story of the blind man called Bartimaeus, whose sight was restored because he trusted Jesus. We'll return to the story in a moment. But the story of Bartimaeus is just one of the thousands of lives that were touched by the ministry of Jesus. He rescued men and women from disease, from illness and death, He forgave them their sins and pleaded with them to sin no more. He transformed the lives of corrupt tax collectors, adulterers, prostitutes, of rich men and women. He provided a new perspective on life and theology, often clashing with the views of misguided priests and students of the law, providing far deeper meaning, hope and answers to the complex questions of life. We'll come back to that story in a little bit, as I've mentioned earlier. But the prelude to our study for this week highlights the story of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Now, this story is exceptionally important. And and this is the case on account of the fact that the story of the fall of Adam and Eve shaped and provided context to the teachings of Jesus. It also provides the only explanation and revelation of how sin entered into this world and the impact that sin has had on our individual lives. So I want us to look at the story very carefully because it will provide so many important insights and principles that we see reflected in other stories that we will consider. Len, I'm wondering if you would kindly read for us Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Yes, but before I read this particular section of Scripture, I believe it is very important for us to realize 
Here's where sin, it's the record of where sin began in this world. And it seems strange to me that there are many Christians, well, I think I call them pseudo-Christians, who believe in Jesus as the uh, remedy for our sin to give us forgiveness, but they don't take the Old Testament seriously. And I find that a little bit um, contradictory. Anyhow, I'm reading from the New International Version, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, which says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he, that's God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you? not to eat from. Mm. Oh, this is a devastating story. It's the story of the human race, how that we've all gone wrong and our first parents went wrong too. We refer to this as the fall, the fall from being godly to being sinful. Mm. It's truly a a remarkable um, account of the entry of sin into our existence. It so often makes me wonder, was there anything, anything that God failed to provide for Adam and Eve that would have caused Eve to search for some other magical greater thing or promise that that may have been so deceptive in this case? The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And I think this was the problem here, that Satan tempted them with some greener grass on the other side of the fence. Mm. Uh, Being this, for it says in verse 3, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, they never knew evil at that time. Mm. Up until then, they never knew what evil was. They never experienced evil. And I think this is the case of the tempter saying, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Mm. You will have knowledge. 
that you don't have now. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the carrot that he held in front of them. I mean, most of the world today is in search of enlightenment, and uh, and they will, people will pursue all sorts of offers uh, that promise, you know, increase in knowledge and enlightenment, in insight and uh, and so forth. But uh, but you know, here was Eve who was created perfect. She had absolutely everything that she needed to be happy, to enjoy a peaceful existence, and. Uh, and and there Satan tempts her to rise above her original position. And where does it take Eve? It results in a fall where she is much lower than she was prior in what God gave her originally. I mean, so, so many promises, so many interesting courses and options and uh, Personal development uh, opportunities are constantly thrown at us today. But is that what we need? Marek, I think that it wasn't enlightenment in itself per se that was the problem. It was enlightenment outside of God, away from God, independent of God. And the idea that the Satan implanted in her mind was that God was withholding something that prevents you from developing to your full potential. And this is a a lie that is peddled to us today that, you know, being a Christian is holding you back that, um, you know, being obedient is, is holding you back. And so I think you mentioned earlier, was it something that God withheld from them or something that was lacking in their lives that it made her more predisposed to making the wrong choice. Am I wrong? Am I right? Did you mention something of that nature? Yes, yes, no. To, To actually say that there was something possibly lacking in their perfect existence would be an excuse for sin to have taken place. And it is the mystery of iniquity. We don't know even how it arose in the perfect life of Satan. Eons ago, we're not sure how it all transpired, but it's a mystery. It was, it was life in perfection, and yet how does it raise its evil head? We don't know. And I think philosophers have discussed this for, mm. you know, centuries. Mm. But yeah, I guess Eve trusted her senses. She saw that the fruit was beautiful and pleasant and desirable, and we too can also be seduced into disobedience by trusting our senses rather than the God's directive. Right. Right, and there's a danger in that for us because I like to bring things into into how is it relevant for us today rather than back then. Yes, yes, alone. Yeah, wonderful, Nick. You you wanted to comment? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just going to say um, uh, something. Just what Len was uh, sharing, you know, that the grass may seem green on another side, and I'm not sure in this context, you know, how green a seems to Adam and Eve, I mean, particularly to Eve, when she heard about that, she's going to find out about the evil also, not only about the good, you know? When you're thinking about, you think of perfect life and uh, what you desire, you know, from uh, what you don't have, it's uh, obviously not to experience Mm. negative things and uh, to know good and evil. I mean, to know good, it's wonderful. But to mm-hmm. evil, I don't think so. It's a thing which you like to experience. And what I would like to say here also, now it's not written in the Bible, but I believe that God had some 
talks, some chats with Adam and Eve, maybe even about the, about the fall of Satan. And uh, that could, uh, you know, the Bible is not um, presenting to us uh, all in details, but I believe God would have told them about that. And now that restriction, which we can see as a restriction, maybe in the, the, the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, we may think it's a restriction, but for them was not a restriction at all. For okay. them was, a, if you like, um, something to prevent them to fall into the temptation of, uh, of uh, disobeying God, you know, or... Um, yeah, I'll just leave it there for now because Len, I think it's, uh, he wants to say something and I, I don't want to, to take something which probably he wants to say. Okay. Well, the question I ask myself is, did Eve have any excuse to take that fruit? The answer is no. Apart from that temptation to gain what I would call forbidden knowledge. But you know, there's another aspect of this. And I see that happening in our day and age when people say that uh, I don't need to keep God's commandments because they've been cancelled. Well, they haven't been cancelled. But as soon as somebody says, I don't need to do what God has said, they place themselves above God. They say, my knowledge, or I am greater than God. And here was this situation God, the creator, the all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful one, said, don't eat it. And then when Eve did that, she straight away, in her own mind, she mightn't have thought of it very much, but she placed herself above God. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, of course, is um, blasphemy. I think there is a lesson here for us all, even today. Surely Eve must have realized that there was something really unusual about a uh, serpent uh, calling into doubt the words that God had given. And um, that should have um, sparked some sort of uh, response by, uh, well, we know that they were surrounded by the, the uh, instruction of angels and uh, the presence of Jesus in the garden. The Bible says he used to walk with them. Uh, surely she should have right then have realized, look, um, it's time out right here. I need to go and inquire. I've had this strange experience. Inquire of the angels or of God. We have uh, seen in this passage where the problem came from. But, you know, God didn't leave it there. God could have said, well, that's it. They've stuffed up. I'm going to destroy them on the spot. But he didn't because God is gracious and uh, in the evening, it says in the Bible how that God used to walk and talk with his creation in the garden. And uh, he uh, did know where they were when he called out. But that was a question in order to bring a response. Well, this uh, particular study that we're dealing with today is not just about what's gone wrong, but how God has made things right. Man, all people, are sinners. God has made provision that they can be saved, that they can live forever. So we have to be very grateful to God 
that we even have the opportunity to live. And uh, I think Adam and Eve must have thought about this for the rest of their lives. What a mistake we made. Our God loves us and cares for us, mm-hmm. and we have disappointed him. Yes. Thank you, Len. There are many lessons that we could draw from this account. The very fact that uh, Eve was immediately inclined to draw Adam into uh, into the act of, of, of sinning, defying God, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, we tend to engage in similar behaviors when sometimes we engage in inappropriate uh, actions. Uh, the fact that uh, when God confronts the two of them, uh, there is immediately this tendency to blame. You know, uh, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. Ultimately, God is blamed because God created the serpent. And so we see a particular pattern established here in this first account of the fall, which is subsequently repeated in all of the stories that we study in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But I think one of the most important lessons that we need to draw from this is that when God provides us with a command, he does that for our well-being. And even though we may not fully understand the reasons behind God's commands, as in this case, not to eat of the tree of good and evil, though we may not understand, we must trust God and obey his commands because they are there to protect us. The important story also, the important aspect of the story also, as brought out in Romans chapter 5 and verse 11 to 19, is the promise that just as through the first Adam, we sin entered into the world, Christ, who was the second Adam, was to bring about reconciliation and restoration. And, uh, and that promise is something that provides meaning, provides hope for all of us. But as we learn from the story of the fall in the Garden of Eden, let's now look at other stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament and see how this pattern is repeated elsewhere. And so we look at the, uh, at the story of, of, of Jacob. And the story of, of uh, uh, the account of, of Jacob's uh, fall, sin, mistake, is recorded well in Genesis 28, verses 10 to 17. Will, would you be kind enough to read that passage for us? Well, Will, just before you go, I just want to uh, mention something, because I believe it's very important, which probably we just missed out uh, to really emphasize on that. In the account in Genesis, we, we read about the fall. One important thing for us is that we should not repeat the same mistake of Adam and Eve to hide ourselves when we commit something wrong. We do something wrong because that's why God asked them, where are you? Not because God didn't know where they are, but they want them to realize that they don't need to hide. They should come to God and tell what's happening. And that taken mm-hmm. yes. lesson for us all today. If something happens in our life, we sin against God. We should go to God and confess and share with God because God is a merciful God and God will not uh, cast us out, but he will embrace us, heal us and make us whole to be able okay. to have relationship. So based uh, on the story that we have looked at in Genesis 3, 1 to 11. Let's consider some of the Old and New Testament accounts 
that provide us with examples of how God deals with sinners. One of the stories that uh, our study guide highlights this week is the story of Jacob, which is found in Genesis 28, verses 10 to 17. Will, I'm wondering if you would be kind enough to read that account for us. Yes, with pleasure. We're introduced here to Jacob as a fugitive, um, and he's fleeing for his life from the revenge of his brother Esau for the deception birthright. And uh, I pick up from verse 10, Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream, a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were descending and ascending upon it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will be spread out to the east and to the west, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Mm. And uh, the Bible says from verse 16, When Jacob awoke from his sleepy thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Wonderful. Thank you, Will. Isn't it amazing that in the Garden of Eden, um, when, uh, when Adam and Eve make a wrong decision, go contrary to God's commands, they feel the need to flee, to hide. When Jonah does not follow the directions of God, he chooses to flee and run from God. Here is Jacob, the story of Jacob, uh, an interesting story where obviously some things were done wrong. Jacob feels the need to run and flee. But can we really find a place where we can hide from God when we do make mistakes and we when we do fall? Well, it makes me think of... Uh of the uh, two texts, Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. And then in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, saying that he sees behind what is behind and what is ahead, all the threats and the dangers. The text says God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing whether it is good or whether it is evil. So God knows where we are, and we can never really flee from him. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that, that's a wonderful, wonderful uh, passage that you've shared with us, Will. You know, it, it's interesting here. That today, if I came across a man like Jacob, I would be inclined to say he got what he deserved. That's exactly what he asked for. Uh, here is a cheat. Uh, someone who who acts as a as a deceiver, a liar, lies to his own father. Well, what else could you expect? What else would you wish him? But is that the way God reacts to Jacob? 
you know, what do we find God doing in, in, in response to Jacob's, uh, uh, Jacob's uh, running from, from his presence and from his family? Well, I, th- I think that God, um, if you're addressing the question to me, I think God does not deal with us according to our sin. He is patient with us and he offers grace and opportunity until we turn our minds entirely a- 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 away from him. And, and, and here is Jacob fleeing for his life somewhere in the middle of, of, of absolutely nowhere. He finds himself a stone for a pillow. And, uh, and in that state of mind, God provides him with a dream. And here we see uh, an incredibly merciful, patient God restating the promises that he had made to his father Abraham, to his father Isaac. Promises of you know, reassurance, of, uh, of being with him, even the promise of giving him the very land that he finds himself on at that point in time. Joe, you have a comment. Yes, I think the scripture seems to leave out the absolute wretchedness that Jacob must have felt. He must have felt that, you know, he must have fallen on that rock that he'd set up as his bed and cried his heart out because here he was in the middle of nowhere, as you said, no company, fleeing like a thief um, or a criminal, having no com- no one to comfort him and how he must have poured out his heart to God. He coveted that which was good. And now maybe he was afraid that he'd lost it forever. And I'm sure that he repented a, a, a heartfelt repentance. And in, re- in response to that, I imagine that God revealed himself. He was basically saying, God, where are you? Because I am so desperately unhappy. I have really messed up. And I think that God revealed himself. God did not condone what Jacob did, not for one minute, and he didn't reward it. But I think that God mercifully forgave Jacob, and we know that later he wrestles. He wrestles with God. But here I believe was uh, he, was, he spent time repenting and regretting how could, what he wouldn't have given to take, you know, how did he ever imagine that this was going to work? and just wishing that he could wind back the hands of time, only to have God reveal himself in this powerful, beautiful, reassuring way. And, you know, I think that gives us such hope. It doesn't matter what we've done, that um, there is a God that listens and um, embraces us. Having said what you have uh, just shared with us here, isn't it interesting that most times we would choose to run from God when in actual fact we should choose to lean on him, we should choose to, to, to turn towards God in those moments. And in all probability, that's what Jacob did. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and hence God responded with the assurance and the promise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's also a case, and I've read this somewhere, I'm sure of it, and it says, you know, what is our, our attitude? I've messed up. I must call my father, I must call dad, or I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. They're two different perspectives. Mm-hmm. When we're in trouble, we need to go to God, go to our father rather than, oh, I've messed up and God's going to kill me. We, you know, my father's going to kill me. I can't tell him. I've got to run and hide. And that is the human inclination, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. rather right. than approach yeah. and seek. Now, now Nick and, and Len, both of you would like to share a comment. Uh, Nick, yeah. go ahead. I would like to just bring the story a little bit back. Now, I will invite uh, our listeners to to go and read, you know, uh, in more detail uh, previous to this story. Uh, just keep in mind that God foretold that through Jacob, not through his brother Esau, it will be carried on the promise given to Abraham. And he found himself that they they, they were not patient enough. I mean, his mother and himself, they put in this position. Now God is revealing it through a dream and again reminding him about his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and the offspring. This is very important because too many times in our life, we see the circumstances not working in our favor. And we're thinking, how can we bring that together to uh, uh, to really fulfill the plan of God in our lives. And we do wrong things as Jacob did and his mother. Instead of being patiently wa- waiting for God and trust in God that what he said is going to come across. Mm-hmm. And this is, I will make a, a, for myself an object lesson particularly in the time we live in today, when the world lives in a so volatile, you know, situation, we are tempted maybe to move ahead of God in certain things. And that's what God is reminding Jacob about his promises. And this is a great lesson for us to learn. Thank you, Nick. Good point. Len, uh, you had a comment. Yes, I'd like to say this. I think Jacob's experience was the same experience as what Adam and Eve had. They got what they wanted, but it didn't bring satisfaction. And I've experienced this myself. I've done wrong and everybody who's done wrong. And there's a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of satisfaction for a while, and then reality sets in that we have done wrong. We've gone against the will of our Heavenly Father and then you get remorse. And I think it's a wonderful thing that we have a conscience that gives us remorse because when we have remorse, we can look for a remedy, and that remedy is what God has done for us. Thank you, Len. I, uh, I must say there have been times in my life when, uh, when uh, certain choices were not the best choices, and, and oftentimes we would kind of spiral down into a a state of despair and sometimes depression. And I've always been amazed how at those times God makes his presence felt. And, And in particular, he almost goes the second mile to provide us with something that we can base our hope on. And oftentimes it's a blessing that we would, we totally feel undeserving of and unexpected of. And it just brings us to our knees and we say, God, you must must love us to be able to extend this kindness, this mercy, this blessing when we absolutely don't deserve it. Mm. And uh, and I, I I see this in the case of, of the story of Jacob here, and I, I have personally experienced that. I'm I'm sure most of us have 
but it does highlight that we serve a very merciful, a very patient God who is so understanding that no matter what it is that we do, if we turn to him and if we look for a personal solution to the dilemmas and sins in our lives, that he has something to offer us that will help rebuild and restore us. Thank you, panel. I'm mindful of the time that is getting away on us. I I want to come to the next passage of Scripture in our study, which comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Now, this passage of Scripture is very important because here we are looking at the story of Adam and Eve. We're looking at the story of Jacob. But what John chapter 1 tells us is that the God who was there in the Garden of Eden interacting with Adam and Eve, the God who spoke um, through a dream to Jacob is the God who in the New Testament revisits humanity, enters humanity in the form of Jesus Christ to reveal the same mercy, the same kindness, the same forgiveness. Uh, Joe, I'm wondering, would you be kind enough to share with us that, uh, read that passage for us from John 1, verses 1 to 14. I'm reading from the New International Version, and this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Then came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of man's decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wonderful. Thank you. Here is the master teacher that that the New Testament focuses on. But this passage is, is wonderful because as it introduces Christ as the word, the logos, here is the wisdom, the intelligence, the personified reason behind all of the works of creation, the works of redemption. And in revealing the character of God, here is the merciful individual that through his interactions with humanity provides us the most wonderful example of himself as a master teacher. That first chapter of John is is so significant and interesting because if we read that chapter... I'm fascinated by the fact that he's not only introduced as the word, as the light, as the Lamb of God in verse 36, he's also introduced as rabbi, the teacher in verse 38, as the Messiah in verse 41, as the Son of God in verse 49, as the King of Israel in verse 49. 
here is our master teacher introduced in that very first chapter of, um, of the book of John. If we were to focus particularly on the title of rabbi, what is the meaning of the word rabbi? A rabbi was probably considered the highest form of a teacher. Now, back in the Jewish days, or the time of Christ and before and a bit after, a rabbi was an, ex- was an exceptional person. If a child was to be educated in the Jewish schools, if he showed outstanding abilities, he would be streamed off into the very best of the best. And that child would then be trained to be a rabbi. Now, part of his training would consist of learning by heart the first five books of the Bible, learning by heart the Psalms and uh, Proverbs, and learning by heart the books of Isaiah and some of the others. In other words, he would know the scriptures intimately. And wasn't just learning them off and saying like a parrot word, but would be able to identify a passage in those scriptures that he knew by heart. So a rabbi, it would, in our modern vernacular, we would probably call him uh, an emeritus professor or something of that nature. But I believe it was even more. So here was Nicodemus, also a rabbi, I think, coming to Jesus by night to put some questions to him and he addressed him as rabbi. Now, in view of what Joe just read on John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, Jesus, as the creator, would know all things. So therefore, in Nicodemus addressing Jesus as rabbi, was certainly right, although Jesus had never attended any of the rabbinical schools. And and then just on that one, um, from my own understanding, is that uh, a rabbi uh, simply just means teacher, master, and uh, a teacher or a master, it's expected to lead. It's expected to teach others, uh, to have followers, to have disciples, to have uh, those people who will follow up on what they are uh, teaching. And that's what I believe, uh, addressing Jesus as teacher, Already Jesus showed that capacity of uh, leading, of teaching people, making disciples, as we referred to in the previous uh, Bible study. And I understand simply like that. If, we, if I go further, and which I agree, Len, what you're saying, it can be something like that, uh, you know, to the highest, highest level of uh, education. But in, in this uh, context, I believe a rabbi, is somebody who is looked at that you can learn from. Mm. Okay, Lynn, you, you wanted to come. Yes. There's a situation we read in the New Testament when various men were uh, addressed by Jesus and Jesus said to them, follow me. Now, what did Jesus have? Did he have wealth? I mean, as a human being, he didn't have wealth. He didn't have a home, he didn't have a palace, he didn't have anything. And he said, follow me. You know, it was considered the highest privilege that any person could have to be asked 
to follow a rabbi. And uh, they, as disciples, were people who would walk in his footsteps, so to speak. Mm, wonderful. You know, what I find fascinating about the scripture in John chapter 1 is that here is reference to the word, the logos, which literally means not just one of many different views or words or forms of wisdom, but the wisdom and the intelligence personified in, in Christ. You know, the ultimate. And to that extent, even though he had not attended the, 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 the schools of the day, as uh, Nicodemus acknowledges, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the mirac- miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Hmm. No, here is Christ who stands out above the rest. Nobody, nobody could challenge anything that Christ said. He could challenge others. But here is is wisdom in the form of, of a master teacher who uh, who was like none other. Uh, any other comments about the uh, the meaning of the word rabbi, teacher, as uh, as re- revealed here in this passage? I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, Marek, uh, I believe that um, that section which you just referred to, we know that you are coming from God. I think that's the most important uh, in, in this uh, passage, in this context, because even today you can be surrounded by many teachers, theologians, and still going in the wrong direction. Mm. You have to find yourself following the teachings of God. And when Nicodemus said, we know that you come from God, that nobody can do those things except if God is with him. How important was that? How uh, that declaration of uh, Nicodemus? And Jesus, of course, accepted that. Yeah. yeah, that's the most important thing for us to learn today, not to be trapped into the teachings of men, into the abilities of men to lead you or direct you, because you can easily be deceived. Yeah, it's fascinating well, after Jesus is crucified, how Nicodemus, together with his wealthy and influential friends, uh, show their respects for, for Christ as the master teacher. It's fascinating that Nicodemus gave all of his wealth to support the building up of the New Testament church, which is mm. based on the teachings of, uh, of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's progress to uh, another story uh, that we find in Matthew chapter 15, 21 to 28, where we see a very clear example of the way Christ related to people not only within the uh, within the Jewish culture but even beyond. Uh, Len, would you share with us Matthew fifteen twenty one to twenty eight? Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Mark puts in that he wanted to have some quiet time for himself. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, "Lord, Son of David." Have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, 
It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Thank you. Powerful story. I mean, here is a Canaanite woman who would not have escaped anyone's uh, uh, attention. The fact that uh, Christ, as, as a Jew, is confronted here by uh, a woman who was considered to, uh, being non-Jewish, being Canaanite, to be an enemy of the Jewish people. And yet Christ addresses her need, even though the disciples would have dismissed her and sent her away. Here is a woman who acknowledges him as the Messiah, as the, as the descendant of King of David, and Christ responds to that trust, to that faith that she had places in him and, uh, and heals her daughter. Now, I want to very quickly move to another story. As Christ heads back towards Jerusalem and, uh, and comes via Jericho, just outside of the city of Jericho, we read of another incident that is provided that is nicely accounted in Mark 10 verses 46 to 52. Will, would you kindly share that passage of scripture with us, please? Yes, sure. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want? Me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Right. What a wonderful story. I I find it fascinating because here is a man who is blind, is poor. People would tend to brush him off, push him aside. And even when Jesus calls him, they, there's a little bit of mockery in the, in the statement here. Cheer up. Get up on your feet. He's calling you. You know, it's a looking down on this individual. But, but Bartimaeus, in spite of what people might do, however they may treat him, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. And when Jesus asks him, what is it that you want me to do? Rabbi, I want to see. What a desire, what an expression of of trust and confidence in Jesus. Len, you have a comment. There's two beautiful things in this story. Number one is how Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus. The other beautiful thing is that when he could see, he followed Jesus along the road, it says. Now, last week when we were talking about the madman of Gadara, the madman who had been healed of the evil spirits, what he wanted to do. He wanted to follow Jesus. And I think that can be and is our experience too. When we have been healed from the sin disease, there's a natural desire to want to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
And Malik, I just uh, want to continue on that one because you may heard about this expression, blind faith. Now, in this case, you know, that, that was a lot of faith from a blind man, uh, which may not uh, being able to see a lot of miracles, which Jesus did, but obviously he believed in Jesus. I like to really connect that with the previous uh, example we did with the Canaanite woman, because Jesus don't want us just to follow teachings with no feedback, if you like. And that woman was talking back to Jesus. Now, in many respects, may not look uh, nice, you know, to just answer back to, to Jesus like that, the way she did. But, you know, Jesus wants us to really reason with him. If we have any doubts or any situation in our life, we, we should reason. We should not just follow, as I mentioned earlier, teachings of men, ideology, whatever it is. We should present ourselves before God and reason with God and ask and talk to him. And in whatever ways you think it's, it's necessary for you. This is a fascinating story because here is a man who is absolutely helpless and probably feels completely hopeless. And he hears of Jesus coming past, recognizes his need of Jesus, and Jesus responds to his trust. You know, when I contemplate the story and I realize that uh, here is a grown up man who for the first time sees, and what is the very first thing that he sees? The face of Jesus. It's the face of Jesus. Would you ever, ever forget that face? Mm. You know, he springs to his feet and immediately chooses to follow Jesus. And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm sure that every day as he followed him, he learned from him. He testified of what Christ had, had done for him through his power, through, through his healing. And I'm sure that Bartimaeus, like perhaps not many others, chose to reflect what God had done to him in his relationship to other people. I'm really, really taken by this short account that we have just look at, looked at here. And I, uh, I want to say that there are just hundreds of these examples in the, in the scriptures instances of where Jesus encounters people, sinners, tax collectors, adulterers, brings hope to their life. When we speak of Jesus as the master teacher, what we need to know is that as we read the Gospels, they are not filled with lengthy sermons. One exception is the Sermon on the Mount of Blessing, where Christ outlines a totally different approach, a totally different philosophy of life. It's a true classic but most of the accounts that we find in the New Testament are accounts of his interaction with fallen and suffering humanity. And what sets Jesus apart from all of the other teachers is not his rhetoric, but the skill with which he related to human beings of all walks of life. Only of him could it be said that he came full of grace and truth. It is only in the face of Jesus that we gain the clearest knowledge of God, a knowledge that we hopefully will experience at a very personal level and a knowledge which will, which will encourage us to reflect that grace and love of God in our life as we interact with other people. And finally, in concluding, there is a, a beautiful quote in the concluding um, sections of our study. Then, would you share that quote with us uh, 
It's from the book Steps to Christ. Yes, the author of the book Steps to Christ is E.G. White, and she has said this, that when we truly respond to the master teacher, we long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, do his will, and please him in all things. Mm. In the company of Jesus Christ's duty, she says, becomes a delight. Now, from the Bible, from the Sermon on the Mount, we have one of the greatest summaries of what the master teacher wanted his students to know and the keynote of the kingdom he came to establish. It's an example we want to emulate. It's a relationship that we want to experience, and I I do hope that uh, for us it will be a delight to follow in the footsteps of of the Master Teacher. As we conclude, Will, would you kindly share a prayer with us, please? Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by the thought that our God, who had the perfect right to turn from the sinner after the disappointment of the transgression that he committed against him, That God takes the initiative to go out after that person to invite the transgressor to repentance and salvation. Lord, we marvel at this and we thank you, Lord. Please, we pray, include us, the panel and every listener, in your great plan of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, panel, for your contribution and uh, And I would encourage our listeners and all members of the panel to continue to study these wonderful topics. Thank you, Marek, for leading uh, in this uh, Bible study. And uh, as you just said, uh, for all your contribution panel is really good. But also to our listeners, if you have a question or a thought, uh, share with us. We provide the phone number and um, emails. Uh, please just um, get in touch with us and we are um, more than happy to share together and to grow together to learn from the master teacher how to live faithful life to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Next program, I would like to invite you to come along again and we are going to look into the subject worship in education. But until then, may God richly bless you. And don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.